A baby is born somewhere every second or something, and every one of them must feel the weight of the world. Right then and there, smacked on the butt, shivering, not knowing that any warmth, any love they feel or don't feel later can make or break them. Welcome to the Anything Man podcast, where I'll be talking to some experts about what it means to be a parent, a teacher, a leader. The reason I've called this podcast Anything Man is kind of complicated. When my nephew was really, really small, one or two, maybe even four or five, he used to play this game with his friends, like most kids do, where they would all be superheroes. Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. But my nephew, every single time, would be Anything Man. And as you can imagine, Anything Man prevailed in any argument. Anything Man won any game of chance or luck, was the strongest, was the smartest. Anything Man could do anything. And this fact that my nephew really wanted to be Anything Man every time got me thinking about the nature of children and their curiosity. Some educational theorists think about childhood as the having of wonderful ideas, or this process of corruption that sort of battles against an ideal state of nature. And these are some of the things that I've been thinking about lately too, and I hope that some of the people that I interview will have some things to say about them. So, fast forward to right now, my first guest is one of my most cherished friends. His name is Victor. He is a community organizer for The Point in the Bronx, which is in New York, where he leads young people in learning about their role in community organizing and just generally sticking it to the man. Victor is one of the wisest teachers I know, and though he has no children of his own yet, he knows plenty about people and humanity and fate, I'm pretty sure Victor can tell the future. So I've got Victor Davila, Davila. Yeah. and um, so I had a couple of questions. Uh, Victor is a worker. Um, in community organizing at a place called The Point in uh, the Bronx, New York. And so my first question was just, uh, in your role with students at The Point, what have you noticed about the way kids learn? Or, or just in general, like what, what are kids like at The Point? Like are they um, typical learners? Well, I think, huh. Um, but the point's got like a wide range of children, right? The point is a community organization, but we also do like a lot of like legislative work on the back end. Mm-hmm. So like most people who like interact with the point, they come with us and they think that we're basically just a boys and girls club. But we have like a ton of out of school activities and a lot of like legislative influence in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And so we have like our age range goes from like 
first grade to high school. Right. Um, and we have them in different groups and ever, but I think the first thing that I've noticed is that kids tend to kids will learn better if they have the examples of what they're supposed to be at a certain age in front of them. To me, this really sounded like Montessori education. I've been doing a little bit of research on alternative educational approaches lately, and it seems like Montessori is different from the public school in the way that it functions and the way that mentorship works. There are lots of opportunities for students who are slightly older than the younger students to show and explain the material to the younger students in order to make it seem a little bit more accessible. Okay. Right. The yep. fact that there's this actual like casual breakdown where while the kids aren't necessarily like all working on the same projects together and things like that, and we have teens at the point, there's no official the point's just kind of a walk in space, right? Like the point when we first came into being, the point the building itself used to be a bagel factory. And that's why it's like it has this specific sizing and it has all these different rooms and corridors and things like that that have now been like utilized for like actual spaces and work. Sounds like a better purpose. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, when you're looking at like how we structure where the kids are and how they behave, we don't have an official like high school place for the immediate after school, right? Um, there's, There's first to second, I think third to fourth, and then fifth to six, but we still get a ton of high schoolers coming into the building because it's a kind of a third space for them, right? They know they can just chill. There's a cafeteria area in, in the Point CDC that's open to the public because it's one of an indoor cafe that we have run by um, a, a catering company. And kids will go there, they'll get a pasta bowl, they'll get a 7-Up, they'll sit down, they'll talk with their friends. And because they are bored, and they have nothing to do after school, they'll sometimes just help mm-hmm. with the kids. And having a teenager help someone with homework, I think really helps them. Yeah. Because there's a larger divide between like me and like a first grader. Yeah. Right? Uh, they're looking at me incorrectly. Right? They're looking at me uh, like I just magically know stuff. Right. But when a teenager, a fourth grader, walks up to a first grader and helps them with their homework, that person is an attainable goal. Yeah, I think uh, there's a there's an educational theorist. I think it's Vygotsky said um, zones of proximal development. Basically, like you can push a kid very very far, and they can try to attain like that super mastery, or they can you can give them like an example right above their range, and they can reach for it. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, so I think I think the biggest thing that I've like observed that I don't think I would have I wasn't actively aware before I got into like how to, how teaching works as like a career and 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 a personal set of goals to improve is just that it's really actually quite good for kids to have a a less walls more transparency in between the age group. Right? <laughs> we tend to separate younger kids out from older kids for the older kids' benefit. Right, so they not so they don't have to deal with those kids. Yeah. Right, so they can like live their lives and explore and grow. 
but I think that's that's a model that isn't necessarily good for anyone, right? Like those older kids need to learn responsibility, and those younger kids need to see some role models. Yeah. And what is and is not appropriate at certain ages, right? Like so much of like what you think adulthood is is what other kids tell you. Yeah, for right? sure. Uh, uh, when I was when I was a kid, the things that I heard about adulthood made no sense uh, from like a logical point of view. Yeah, like what's an example of like something that somebody told that was totally like absurd afterwards? When you're like a kid, like when you're like first, second grade, it's always weird sex things, right? It's yeah, always, yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't know anything about like kids who saw like a naughty magazine that their uncle gave them once. Yeah. Are, like pouting expertise on the playground, and it's like an absurd situation. And it's like some really actually like sinister information that they're like passing on to their fellow fourth <laughs> graders. And sometimes it's sinister. Sometimes it's just so stupid that even if you don't know anything, you're like, that doesn't make like, sense, does it? Yeah, exactly. Because I have at least one of these two items on me right now, and I, I don't think it goes in there. I, 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 the one I remember distinctly is, like, something about, like, a, someone was telling me about, like, uh, uh, having sex with someone else's ear. And it's like, what the, no. like, even at that young of an age, it's like, I know that's not what the ear is for. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's this idea. I think what you're what, kind of what you're talking about is like, uh, like carrying tradition sort of too. Like, kids have a lot of things they have to learn that are like preset, like things that are just like someone before me said this and it's true. So now I have to, yeah. or it's like not true, and now I have to like discern what's true and not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know what? Maybe maybe that's why it's such a benefit. Like when you pull back all the other things around, like why it's a good thing for young people to see like an attainable version of what the future is mm-hmm. is because that's so much more honest than what the adult like there's so much nuance in adulthood that like what you're looking at is like being a two-dimensional being trying to look into a three-dimensional space you can't yeah. possibly comprehend that yeah you can't see and, yourself there yeah yeah you absolutely yeah. can't and so like there's a mythology mm-hmm. and mythologies can be dangerous when they're about the real world This is one of those super profound things you can only get from Victor. Tradition, all of the things that help us grow as humans and contribute to our stories, are all part of huge mythologies. And as we'll see in a little bit, mythologies can lead to lies and misunderstanding and delusion. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. That like kids have a certain like set of beliefs about being an adult even before they're there. And I, I you know you don't think about that when you're a kid. Yeah. Yeah, and like and, and as adults we can recognize that enough to even represent it. Like when we're looking at like an episode of Rugrats, the, <laughs> the world from Tommy's perspective is a huge and magical place. And I would argue that the world is still in fact a huge magical place, yeah. but he views it inaccurately. Yeah. And that. That is helped if he that is helped and brought real in the show even by the slightly older kids around him, right? Yeah, like Angelica. He comes in to be like, <laughs> actually, guys, yeah. that's not how this works. Yeah, I'm not too far ahead of you, but I can break this down for you because I still understand where you're coming from. Yeah, so I guess in, in some way, um, and I was talking <laughs> to someone about this I think last week, um, but it's like older people are sort of like not even like gatekeepers, but like anyone who's a little bit older than you is even more than like a role model. Sometimes they're like, have that sort of uh, like privilege to be like, this is, this is how you should do this thing because they're yeah. like a little bit older and they've got that wiseness or something. You know what yeah, I mean? There's a validity to them. Yeah. The, yeah. They're like more valid as a person because they're yeah. a little bit older. And, yeah. 
believing a lie by mistake very early on, being a, believing a lie in general is the worst thing a human being could probably do on different scales, right? Not because it means you're a bad person, but the instant you believe a lie, especially if it's like, let's say, a malicious lie, you're going to try to carry that forever. You're going to pour resources into that space, even though there's nothing there, even though it's a void. Yeah. And so you're going to try to build towards that lie, and you're going to come across problems, either for yourself or for others, because you're not building on something substantial, right? Yeah. Um, there's this, uh, I actually did a class about this recently with some of my students about like how to identify misinformation, right? How oh, to nice. understand why misinformation spreads and also just how people can buy into it, right? right. And the big example that we were using was the Capitol riots, mm-hmm. right? When you look at the Capitol riots and how that breaks down, it like looks really crazy and like insane and how could this possibly happen from a distance? But the instant you get on the ground and like look at how these people are being fed information, yeah, yeah, it's it's completely understandable how this happens. Mm-hmm. It's not because they're looking at things that are obviously ridiculous and then just going forward like crazy people. As if, a lot of people, I think, are treating this like these people actually think and understand that this is terrorism. Oh, of course, yeah. And that's the misnomer, right? Like yeah. you can have empathy with, while main, making sure that people are held accountable. Yeah. Well, you know, on the other end of it, like you see a lot of. Um, students and kids really confused about it they're like what what is this like people don't act this way like they're they're totally just like flabbergasted by it they they don't know how to process it the reason that capital writers were able to buy into this idea that we have to storm the capital is because early early on literally years ago they were being told little lies Mm -hmm. they were being told little lies that were not too far off from their perception because because they maybe lacked a key bit of information uh, in a lot of cases, just knowing a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a thing where because they bought in on a little lie that felt reflective of the reality that they had been taught or the reality that they actually grew up in, right. every single time another lie was told that built off of the one before it, it didn't seem like a lie, right? They couldn't catch it out <laughs> in comparison to anything because they were already in on something that wasn't true. And so every consecutive lie just feels like you're building up and building up. And sometimes it can be a thing where it's a lie that you believe, even though you've never seen it, because the lie that is being told on top of is something that you think is real. And so because you have that other thing that validates this next lie, you're not questioning it. And even if you do question it, the question becomes less... Well, I know, like, for example, there's this, um, a while ago, around the same time as the, um, the black and gold dress that was, like, the black and blue dress. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, like, the two images, yeah. You remember the meme a while back? There were two dresses, one was black, one was gold, something like that, and everyone saw something different. People started conjecturing about personality types and perception and all of that with this black and gold dress thing. Um, another one had come up that was a picture of a frog that could also potentially be perceived as a rabbit. 
But the entire point of that one is that it was a lie. It was only ever a photo of a frog. It can only ever be a frog. Yeah, yeah. But because people have been told 20% of this population could see a rabbit, when told that information, they didn't go, is that true? Because they know optical illusions like that sometimes exist. They instead went, oh, can I see a rabbit? And they tried really hard to see the rabbit. There's a lot to unpack in the last couple of uh, things that you've said, but I think uh, in terms of like uh, kids, in terms of kids anyway, I think that yeah, like the micro level, parents do that all the time. They lie to the, they lie to kids yeah. in order to make it more convenient and things like that. And that's kind of how uh, big corporations are like managing some Absolutely. of the population, is what you're saying. Um, and yeah, and I I think that's um, it's. <coughs> It's again like one of those things that people with power feel like they have um, have to like protect what they have with like these mythologies. Like they have to um, like story themselves in order to be um, to to maintain their their sort of like power and status as like the adult or as the corporation or as the nation. You know, um, it's just re- really interesting to. To hear about the ways that lies work, because yeah, it's, it's you're you're right. Like that, that lie easily becomes a mythology because there's those, all those levels of, you know, you you yeah. hear you hear one little piece of it, and that piece is contingent on all of the other pieces before it that have probably and so been lies. Yeah, and then that means that the instant one of these things suddenly becomes off, you have a breakdown and fall apart. Yeah, because now everything else in your life has to be reconsidered, and that's why so many people, even when they are now aware that everything was a lie don't break away from it because it's too difficult to change yeah no one puts baby in a corner yeah the the lie is a thing where the lie happens because it's easy right in every situation even when you're lying for someone's benefit right you're lying because it's easy this this prompt was brought up to my kids and i was like is there a situation where you can lie and it's actually morally okay and there is, right? Like if a, if a kid is coming from an abusive household and they came to hang out with you and uh, they asked where the kid was, you can say, oh, they're at school or something like that. Or you could say this because you know that they're going to get hurt if they don't, yeah. you don't otherwise lie. Yeah. You can do that. But the reason you lied was, while it was justifiable, was because that was the easiest option. Because when you actually look at that circumstance of your friend, 
what's the real thing that you can do to resolve the situation? What's the thing that is tangible that you can do? In order to help your friend, you would have to get the mom and dad in therapy or wherever mm-hmm. the respective parent is. You would have to try to fix their economic circumstance, probably. You'd have to try to make sure the school had better counselors. You'd have to try to make sure there were laws in place that helped with abuse. Those are huge asks, yeah. right? The way you address those things in the real world are huge asks. You sure. cannot possibly, as a young kid, help your friend via doing the actual thing that helps everyone involved. Yes. But the lie is easy, right? So, you don't have the power to change your friend's mom, but you yeah. have the power to misdirect them, yeah. to change what they think, right? When I tell someone, hey, uh, I need you to do X, Y, and Z for these reasons, mm-hmm. what I am doing to them if I am lying is that I am removing a couple of options. They don't have the full picture now. Right? They're not aware of the reality and the decisions that they could have made had they been given that information may have been different than when I need them. Yeah. And so I am limiting the amount of information they are being given on purpose and then sometimes, in fact, telling them that some of that other information just straight up isn't real. So this is, this is an interesting thing to me, Victor, because um, this is something that kids do naturally. Like at age yeah. two, they start like lying and stuff. So it seems like to me that some of it is like this deceitfulness or... Um, a, a want to control or manipulate resources that you already have uh, seems like it's somehow inborn a little bit or like would, yeah. somehow universal, but it also seems like um, some people get really good at it. Like some people, some people like are enforced by their environment to be, or like their genetics or whatever it is to be really tricky and good at it. So what I think what, what, what it does come down to is that like there is something almost animalistic about lying in a weird way where it is every human being is, in, uh, with some exceptions, obviously, because we're, we're a diverse range of folks, mm-hmm. is looking for the thing that helps conserve the most energy, right? When we, even when we're talking about, like, maximizing stuff, we're yeah. talking about, like, conserving the most energy, and a lie, in a lot of cases, conserves the most energy. Victor is into biology and human nature and bioethics and genetics, so it's not surprising that he brings up a scientific law here, the law of conservation of energy. The way that he applies it, though, to like human systems and interactions between humans uh, is, is really, really interesting. Yeah, that seems like a totally choice situation if you don't have that mental space to understand how these things echo out. Mm-hmm. Right? Like when I know that lying is an easy option. I am not a perfect person. I still lie on occasion. But I limit my lying because I understand and have forethought, which kids don't have. That's why they do it so much more frequently. They don't understand how these things, how these actions, echo out and affect the world around them. Mm -hmm. Right? And I think even today, when you're looking at adults who tend to do a lot of lying and tend to get themselves in a lot of trouble and, and are generally problematic, you're looking at people who don't have a lot of forethought. Yeah. You're looking at people who would rather take a dime today than a quarter tomorrow. And that means that you're going to be more destructive, right? Honestly, a large part of morality does sometimes just feel like tr- making sure that you are being considerate out to a couple of days, right? <laughs> like, yeah, um, out um, of a couple of communities. So what's interesting to me, we, I think we've talked about like uh, people with exceptionalities like autism or ADHD every now and then uh, in our yeah. conversations. And so it, it seems like um, a kid with 
autism really doesn't have, um, or they're exceptionally moral. They're like to the T moral. And like, it, it seems to me like, um, like they absolutely, ha- like it's, it's imperative to their mental well-being to tell the truth. I feel like that really does go two ways. I feel like you get two extremes in autism because I feel like autism is about functions having extremes. Because I have met kids yeah. who have autism who like straight up like almost can't tell the truth, but it's so okay. obvious that they're lying. Right? Well, right. That, um, that's what I mean. Even, but it's it's almost like a compulsion. Yeah. Like through their body language, you can tell. Oh, this kid's lying. Yeah. And I'm I'm gonna let him off the hook now. Yeah. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing. Um, um, I think that no matter what, like I think, I think autism is like is one, incredibly complicated, and I think the biggest thing that I'm looking at when I'm looking at autism is a thing where it's like, no matter what a kid ends up being, you have, like, understanding autism is understanding that this is someone who is com- is processing shit different. No matter how different that is, whether they're over-processing or under-processing, that kid is operating on different hardware point blank. Yeah. Right? And I feel like where we end up getting a kid who has autism, is a sometimes a much more tragic thing to watch get uneducated because that child requires so much more information to validate certain behaviors and yeah. options. Um, One person I, I talked to called it the come to Jesus moment with their kid. They were like, listen, <laughs> you have autism and it's a struggle for you. Like, you know, <laughs> Yo, it's, yeah, 100%. And like just an understanding that information helps them become aware of themselves. Yeah. Like, it's not a bad thing to have autism. It is just you have different hardware. Yeah. And in order for you to learn the software that is social interaction, we're going to have to learn how you work. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's, because we have that instinct to find the path of least resistance, the school system is designed in such a way where we don't cater education to children. Yeah. Right? Even in a non-autism way, we don't cater information to children. We have, like, a, a cookie-cutter system for how mm-hmm. we teach and anyone who falls outside of this specific way of absorbing information is largely ignored. Yeah, they're not right? Even special ed classes are mostly just a place where you dump kids so you don't have to deal with them more. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's a damn shame because we consistently see that when, a, when anyone who has any specific mental condition is able to just be educated in a way that allows them to, like, there's a logical way to understand morality. Yeah. There's a logical way to understand love. There's a logical way to understand and appreciate the world around you. Without having to get into like, without having to hold emotions in this almost magical place, right. right? Where you can understand like, oh, the reason why it's good for me to be good is because altruism ultimately works out to my benefit in the long, long term. It's a right. long-term investment to be kind. Yeah. Right. That's a really good way to teach anyone to be good for the rest of their lives, no matter where they're coming from, like chemical set-wise. Like you yeah. don't have to have anything implicitly in you that's empathetic to right. still be a good person. You could you could you could do good things and not um, 
not be like uh, motivated to do them. You could just do them and it could work out. Is that what you're saying? Like you don't have to be intentionally empathetic. It can just be. I'm saying that you can be motivated by what motivates you to be good. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you don't have to have the dopamine and oxytocin rush implicitly built in you to understand I should probably volunteer because I don't want the world to burn in 20 years. I'd like to be alive. Right. And that is that should be more than enough for most people. And it's the thing it's the thing where because we fail kids who have different ways of, of actually viewing the world and, and moving through life, because we don't put that effort in, that becomes a vulnerable population. And mm-hmm. vulnerable populations can be manipulated by people who do pay attention. Right. And if the larger functions of your society are trying to ignore these people, then the worst parts of your society are going to see them as a resource to be exploited. Yeah. And that's what we're seeing in the capital riots. Yeah. Right? Like you, you, don't, you cannot be in a good headspace. Either you are being denied information to your whole life to the point where you are no longer as a, func- a functioning adult, or you were born with things that made it harder for you to learn and yeah. no longer a functioning adult. And like you don't storm a capital with good mental health, right? No. Like you don't storm a capital after a duly elected president who honestly isn't like I don't I'm not a fan. He's of pretty him. like milk toast. Like, like he's not he's not like exceptional, but like you know he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> why toast? Well, like it's itchy in the throat, but like I'm not gonna really complain. Yeah. It's and so you can't you can't have those behaviors and be okay. Yeah. And yet we look at these behaviors and so much of the public response is, oh, those bastards, those idiots. And, and that's, that's all the, the other side. That's of also us being lazy. Yeah. It's, yeah, also it's not, it's not looking system. for why are they doing this? It's just yeah. idiots. Yeah. I yeah. And I think that's been the biggest like cultural spin in general for like the human algorithm is, I think, getting a little better at looking at something and going, there's probably a reason for that, right? Yeah. And that alone is is how you improve this society, is seeing a problem and actually thinking about what's causing it. And it's strange that something that simple is so often not what we do. So, Victor, I'm gonna um, in in this section of the podcast, I'll have like this old timey music playing. It'll be all. But um, <laughs> what what is what is the most memorable thing from your childhood? Have you always been this um, oh. empathetic toward communities? Have you always been um, so ready to uh, change things? What was, what's the most memorable part of your childhood? Is my, my next question. The, the here's the thing: is that I was a monster, right? I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I when so i was homeschooled from first grade until high school basically mm-hmm. but sorry second grade until high school but before that i went to ps67 in the bronx and ps67 in the bronx was the worst school in the bronx this is a middle school there's no high school grade at this public school at the time at least and yet in this one school within one year we had like three bomb threats and the dumpster got set on fire and in one year Wow. Yeah, and there was like some kid got stabbed by another kid. 
it's important to note that not every kid goes through the same circumstances and experiences that Victor has gone through. However, on the other hand, it's also important to note that most children in the U.S. report at least one or two, having having experienced at least one or two adverse childhood experiences in their life. It's just commonplace. So when we're thinking about this, in some ways we're thinking about how to mitigate any adverse childhood experiences that can happen, and I think in the process it gets really kind of muddy. It's a thing where I was not a neurotypical kid. I'm not that neurotypical of an adult, and it's a thing where that environment, if you're paying attention with that kind of head, it's you're learning a lot of things about the world that aren't necessarily accurate to outside of the space, right? Right, like you you could realize like, oh, this is violence. Like, <clears throat> yeah, I, I thankfully had like, I had outside sources to be comparative to, right? Like I had examples both in fiction and real life of why this is weird and messed up. And also, like my, the thing about me growing up is that like my parents were folks who had kids young and themselves came from broken households, right? Uh, my mom's father abandoned her when she was like, I think nine, and uh, her and her two sisters, and he had like a second family, like super scandalous shit. And he kept coming in and out of her life randomly. And my mom had, my mom's mom had like schizophrenia, and my mom had like broke fast, and like it was was weird and wild. My dad's dad abandoned him when he was like uh, 12. Uh, my grandmother, he, my dad was like, I think the 10th of 12 kids my wow. grandmother had. That's a lot of and kids. And so they both really, really wanted to have a family and want to do it the right way. Sure. But they only knew so much about the world. Like I am 27. That means I am six years out from when my parents had me. And I would like 21 year old me couldn't raise a child. <laughs> Are you insane? Yeah. 21-year-old me could could barely keep that little dude alive. Like, yeah, that's, for sure. That's, I hear what you mean. That's an, so, like, I have to appreciate that, you know, I'm alive and shit. Yeah. And I, have to, I have to appreciate that they kept me alive. Yeah. But that also meant that there were a bunch of things that they were either, A, learning on the fly, or B, still too young and irresponsible to get right. When it's like not understanding that these things are affecting the kid. Both of those things are things that happen to almost every parent. Like, I'm too young, and um, there are things that I'm learning on the fly. But, like, I feel like the things you're learning on the fly thing, you can kind of, um, like, expect that, maybe plan for it, but all of that stuff is just, like, unknown to you. The the other part, I think, is something, um, a, a, a factor in every childhood. Like, just, you know, my, my parents are... Um, in their 50s and 60s now. But when my mom had my sisters, I think she was pretty young, maybe like 21 or so. Like people used to have kids younger. And um, I think it's a good mindset that a lot of people our age have. Like, oh, I'm still learning myself. I'm still like learning about the world and everything. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. But also, I think the other factor is that like, 
the time frame for them was a better economy also. Yeah. Right? Like, and so like my, when, these are all like the, the not knowing what you're doing, that's fair enough. Yeah. Right? No one's ever going to fully know what they're doing. Yeah. That's super valid. And it, it is better to have your, to have kids when you're like, probably still have the energy to keep up with them when they get to like running age. Right. Um, <laughs> Chase uh, after them. <laughs> uh, but, Ultimately, like finance and and pride, I think, are the things that will turn those things into good lessons for your kids to see and observe versus things that actively, accidentally trick them about how the world works. Sure. Where like the ability to go, I'm wrong, I was sorry to your kids, sets them up for being able to accept failure. And like it's so much easy, it's so much more important to to know how to walk away and how to recover from failure than it is to actually event prevent failure and i think the person that you learn is when you observe your parents and they get caught out and like either they didn't know or uh uh, uh, they said something that was blatantly not true but they believed it Mm -hmm. or they just mess up in general what victor's talking about reminds me of restorative justice in some ways what we do in schools uh trying to heal communities based on your relationship and your responsibilities toward that group. Yeah. The the instinct to want to recover for that so that you somehow like maintain your power over like the circumstance where you mm-hmm. want to make sure that the hierarchy of adult to child power is there, you feed them. It's always gonna be there, right? Like it's even when if you teach them how to cook, it's going to be there because they don't have a job. They pro- mm-hmm. you provide the shelter, you provide this, you have more years on them. Yeah. There's the the desire to want to maintain that you are somehow a resource that your kids absolutely need is counterintuitive to the actual point of being a parent. Yeah. Uh, you don't have a kid. You do not have a kid. You are a parent. Yeah, exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that all the way. Um, well, it feels like you're hiding secrets when, you do, when you're like that, right? Where it's like, it's a thing where if, if you just are human, a human thing mm-hmm. to your child, that is actually beneficial to their relationship with you, mm-hmm. right? Because it means that you're more willing to let them in on the fact that you need to be given the benefit of the doubt. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's the thing that you were talking about that I thought was really, uh, really thoughtful is just like um, kids seeing a vulnerable individual. And like, um, yeah. And and one thing that I thought was cool about that or interesting about that is that um, when kids see that, they they generalize it. They expect the world to be like that. And I think um, we need to as like the next generation, I guess, of adults, we need to make sure that like that's the case, like any adult that a kid goes to can be vulnerable. And um, I think people are working to do that. And I think um, it's cool to see, but then there's also like that other faction of the world that you're just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, you yeah. know. No, for sure. Cause it's the thing where like being vulnerable like that to your kids is just you being honest about reality. Like yeah. my, I remember the first time I there was an actual honest moment between like me and my, my parents where um, it, it was a holiday season and both my parents were freaking out about something and I had no idea what it was. And then like the day of like Christmas, I think it was, um, 
they gave me my presents and I was chill. And my mom started crying really aggressively out of nowhere. And I was like, what's wrong? And my mom threw like, my mom is, is like, I, like to preference her personality, an insanely emotional woman. Um, and I, I don't mean that like as emotions are bad or anything like that or like, yeah. you know, I'm not, not just one of those people who like lets it take over sort of like if you the the sheer number there are more commercials this person will cry at <laughs> than there than there is like emotional tense in the commercial because it triggered a million yeah. <laughs> about something sad or she's like, like off on another planet. planet yeah 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 like she's in her own zone and yeah. it's a thing where like because of that she'll like blurt out things sometimes okay. But that that those are the spaces where like I learned more empathy for my parents, yeah. right? Where it's a thing where like, oh, I I found out that they wanted to really get me something that I had seemed excited about uh, frequently when it came up in the commercial, but they couldn't afford it. And that was the first time I was like, oh, money has value. That gives your kids such an advantage too. Like there's mm-hmm. no reason to not be vulnerable and like tell your kids are like, I don't know. Just yeah. straight up telling them, I don't know, means like, hey, my, as a resource, I have stopped. You have to look other places. Yeah. Right? That's so good and powerful because those are, the th- those are the tools that allow them to continue to teach themselves long after you're no longer there to give them information. Yeah, definitely. Right? Yeah. Like, that's, that's so critically important to help. Like, your, your job as a parent is to shepherd a new, responsible, functioning adult into the world mm-hmm. so they can maybe add some of their effort to the human experience. And when you when you're just telling them that only you like when you don't tell them when you don't know, and when you don't tell them things like snapping suddenly at your kids confuses their programming. Yeah. Right. How am I supposed to have? How am I supposed to know when I need to feel fear if I don't know what's happening? Like my parents used to snap at me all the time, and it's a thing where the anxiety issues I have. I have only recently been able to like understand and really mitigate because I have a friend of mine um, who's in the Coast Guard and he spends a lot of time out at sea, so he has all this time to read books. Right. And he <laughs> like, a lot of self-help books. Like his like by comparison to a lot of kids in my neighborhood at the era I grew up in, I was very privileged. I had both my parents in the household, and while my my mom was trying to make sure we had an education, and my dad was working his ass off, like to the point where like. My dad has come home twice and I've had to like help him get to the hospital because he had internal bleeding, right? Because he was working like 14 hour shifts every day. Yeah. So, like I am actually quite privileged compared to some of the other kids I'm friends with. But like, and but Kendrick is one of those people for whom is like, my life I w- is, was set up to be a little less harsh than his. And so he's been trying to like, he's spent years trying to like get over his anger issues and like learn how to be a better person because he has a kid now. And he doesn't want to make those things mistakes at them. Like, and I see him uh, interacting with his kids, and that's a really fascinating experience where it's like I am watching him actively have anger in his voice, but is saying the right things. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> He's working on it too, but the kid's yeah. like... It, it's not perfect, <laughs> Yeah, but it's a thing where it's like that is much more than he ever received. Sure. And that means that his kid is going to be in a much better place just because yeah. of someone who can be like, I don't know, figure it out. So <laughs> would you say, Victor, that it's like, um, that it's the, it's the parents active, um, like self work that makes a kid better than the, that makes a kid want to have a little, like the next level higher than the parent or, um, is it the kid that wants to do the other, like the other way around? 
I think it's not even like a thing where like you're aiming to be better. I think it's just when you are honest about like I a I don't know this or like b listen I'm frustrated right now and I cannot deal with you. Right. This is I I'm dealing with other things right now. That's just teaching them how to be honest about a circumstance. Sure. Like yeah. there's this magical thinking about growth too, where like you just see people doing shit and they're all healthy, right? Like mm-hmm. I am, I in my life do a lot of things, right? In my personal life, and I in my life have a philosophy where like I'm trying to be on that Snoop Dogg level, where like he just be doing shit sometimes, like he just be do like he, he doesn't. <laughs> why does he have a cookbook? Right? Like it, <laughs> It's, it's, he's like best friends with Walter Stewart. He, he yeah. made a reggae album about fruits and mangoes one time. Uh, my man has several different business. Like, I'm just trying to be like productive. <laughs> but the other half of that is people looking in on the circumstance going, oh man, Victor can just be like that. Yeah. It's crazy that Victor is just like that. But yeah. the reality is that like, no, I, I feel it. Yeah. This is exhausting. Conscious and choices make quiet. like exhausting work. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a thing where it's like, but the other half of that thing that you're not seeing is that the only reason I do so much is because when I'm doing nothing, I'm hyper aware of the fact that nothing is happening. Yeah. And that drives me insane. And I would okay. rather take exhaustion than insanity. Right, and exactly. Not, yeah. not seeing that doesn't let you know that I'm only productive because I'm crazy. It has nothing to do with something that you should hold a standard to. Right? You should be okay. doing what you want to do the best you want to do. And like, that's also useful because, like, if I have kids one day, they're only going to see a dad who does, like, 200 things and is still hopefully able to talk to them once in a while. Right. Like, yeah, no, that's, that's the same thing that I'm feeling right now. Like, I'm into, like, I have, like, music recording and stuff going on. I'm writing. I'm trying to, like, do podcasts and stuff. I'm trying to work. And then, like, I come home and I, I imagine, like, I'll, I'll still have, like, time to be with a baby because babies are awesome. And, like, you know, like, I think, I think like, what you're saying is, like, kids will see that parents are trying and they're like doing things. Yeah. And like that, I think that's cool. Like that, that is and also see how to uh, respond to stress, which is the yeah. big thing. Like so often we try to like be perfect in front of our kids and that teach, that does not teach them how to respond to stress. You're not showing them the skills you've developed to sure. mitigate your stress levels. Yeah. And they need to see that. Yeah. Right? So they need to understand that wine helps you. <laughs> like <laughs> they need to understand yeah. so that they can be responsible with it in the future. So wine or no wine, I think Victor has a lot to say about that idea of role modeling that we brought up at the beginning of the podcast with Montessori education. He has a lot to say about wisdom and tradition and how these things inform decisions for parents. Even though he's not a parent yet, he kind of understands these things. So I, I wrote down on my little notes here, uh, Freud, Sigmund Freud had one really good theory, like all the rest is just total bullshit, <laughs> but he said, he said the capa- um, humankind is made of the capacity to love and to work. Those are like the two things that humans yeah. need to do to be like self-actualized. Um, and I just thought that was really interesting because that's kind of what we're saying. Like you, you need to have time to like encourage your children's well-being and emotional states and choices and stuff like that but then you also need to show them that like you can get shit done and like yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's cool and also um, like what what your personal limits are like yeah. it's okay to have personal like you you don't have to be a superstar every time 
It's just that when you fail, just tell them why and why it's happening. And if you mm -hmm. don't have the energy to talk to them, tell them that you don't have the energy and then explain later. Yeah. Like there's, I feel like people sometimes just get locked into like a linear fashion where they, they are doing something and that, that thing has resulted in a, a, a series of events and they don't understand that they can work that back. Right. You don't have to keep going down this specific route. You don't have to, because you need your kids to perceive you a certain way, continue to do that. Like it's, if something isn't working, change your strategy. Yeah. Just, just point blank. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not easy to be the kind of parent that is able to actually be honest with their kids about themselves and the world around them. But it's not difficult it's just not more than nothing. Like, it's just more than nothing, right? Because the other option you're dealing with is just pretending and lying and not dealing with it, which is you doing nothing, right? Right? Words don't matter because if, if in, in that realm where you're not telling your kids shit, all you're doing is saying words. Mm -hmm. And words are just ways to communicate ideas. They have no real impact outside of action. Right. Right? The instant someone does something as, as instructed by those words, boom. That's, that's real world stuff now, even if the thing that they're building was based off a lie. So when you can prove to your kids that, like, show them you care through action, right? Like, it's not just love the work, it's that show, show your love through the work. Right. right? Yeah, that's, show them that you're enjoying it. People. Yeah. Well, more than that, just show them that you're doing it, even if you hate it, show them that you're doing it for the sake of love. Yeah. Right? Just, like, the amount of times, and, and this is something that I, I my dad... For all his faults, was never afraid to complain about how tired he was. <laughs> and, and when I would when I would be excited to want to do something outside, and I would come up to him and I would see him, and he would turn to me slowly and go, "No, I'm very tired. I'm not doing that." Like pre-question. Yeah, because it's like the incident happens once. The next time he's like, "I'm tired," and go, "Okay, fine, I get it." Like the next time you're gonna be like, oh, "I should even ask." Yeah, no, I, I know what you yeah. mean. Like, I'm going to see him slumped on that couch, and I'm going to understand why he slumped on that couch. Because yeah. he's tired, not because he doesn't have anything to do. Because yeah. only when I'm a kid, my only, my only version of what that means to just sit on a couch alone is that you're bored. Mm -hmm. Because, that, yeah, that's what you would do when you're bored, yeah. And so yeah. There's, this, there's a theory that is kind of outdated at this point, like egocentrism in kids. And I don't necessarily think that kids are egocentric, like that, that they think the world only revolves around them. Um, I think they just have like a smaller, like a fewer reference points for, you know, how to, how to interpret that information. Um, so my next question, and it, might, it can be our last one if you want, we can keep talking for a while if you want to, too. Uh, what is your view on nature versus nurture? I have the famous Victor theory about spaghetti on a spaghetti on a wall. And I thought maybe it applied here. Victor once said that, um, Genetics is like throwing spaghetti on a wall. That that which sticks is uh, the thing that will pass on to the next generation, and uh, that which doesn't won't. So, um, nature versus nurture. What's your view on it? I think that oftentimes that we look at these nature versus nurture. I think is a weird thing because it's trying to ascribe a lot of very complex notions in a binary system. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's where we end up getting a lot of like difficulty. Where I think the nature of all people is that we are born with machines, uh, in, like we are born as organic machines, and everything we can be and everything we can do has to be based off of that inherent machinery to some extent. 
right? That's definitely what the nature is, right? I am a biped with two arms, and I have a brain that is wired to function a certain way based on the size of different areas and based on what those areas function as. Everything else, though, is surprisingly nurtured, right? It's a thing where there, even um, there, was, there was an experiment done, I think, in the in, I think it was in the 1940s, maybe in the 1930s, called the Little Albert Experiments, right? Uh, the Little Albert Experiments was a group of scientists trying to prove that nothing about fear is inherent and that all things can be learned to be feared, even the most innocuous of things. And so what they did was they hired a poor immigrant woman from Poland, I believe, and they, they got her newborn son. He, he was, I think, of only like six months old, and they started a trial experiment run on it. And one of, they did a couple of things, but the most noticeable thing they did to this kid was that every time they would introduce a rabbit into the room with him, they would ring a gong next to him when the rabbit got too close. And they did this for months. <laughs> what the end result was of that experiment was that he showed extreme fear and fright towards that rabbit, towards all rabbits. When a white dog was brought into the room, he was fearful of it. When a monkey was brought into the room, he was fearful of it. When cotton balls were placed in a pile in front of him, he began to freak out because he didn't just associate that fear with just the rabbit form. Anything white, fluffy, that small, kind of eyes, those are terrifying to him now. And as an adult, he was pretty ruined. We have Fuck. a lot it of is. everything about us that is nurture. From what I have been able to see is just the fact that we are built to perceive things of very specific ways. If but little, what we do on that hardware is whatever we end up inputting. It's just uh, I think okay. a lot of people take for granted how much of them has been taught. So much of our learning is us through observation that is passive. Like uh, I, a big example is that um, I can say in right. Like when when a friends of that discussing something and I'll just go like uh, in it, <laughs> and that just be terrible, right? Yeah. And I have never actively observed this in myself. I never actively observed that one, I say in it a lot, and two, that that's British. And in my brain, that was Bronx slang. But then I realized no one else was saying it. And when I say realize, I mean like this is a conversation I had with my roommates a week ago. Okay. Uh, where they brought that up and then I was floored. And I had to think in my brain, like, why the hell do I say in it? I do watch British television, but I've been doing this my whole life. Why do I say in it? And I remember that before the age of like nine, I had a severe speech impediment, a severe one. And I had to go to speech therapy for like three years. And I then realized that the same reason I say in it is the same reason that some people think very incorrectly that I have a British accent. And it's because my speech therapist is British. Oh. And he left that in me by mistake. He left that, that one word. In and it's like one word in it. That blows my mind. I don't know why. Yeah, and, it, and it's a thing where like I didn't observe it. Yeah. Right? We, we give ourselves so much credit because we aren't as observant to ourselves as, as we ought to be. Mm -hmm. There isn't a single way we speak, a single thing we do, a single thought we have that has been influenced by something. And it can be innocuous things. Uh, it can be incredibly innocuous things that end up triggering a permanent response in the, for us for the rest of our lives. That's why it's so important 
that we put accurate information in front of young people as often and as early as we can. It's, it's weird how, to me, uh, anyway, I know that you're saying you think it's mostly nurture. Um, to me, it seems a little bit like you have a genetic code, a way that you're unfolding and stuff like that throughout your life. You have certain uh, like points you're going to hit throughout your life, um, but that um, the, the environment helps you sort of like, or encourages sorts of uh, genes to unfold in certain yeah. ways and stuff. Um, you're yeah. operating with machinery the entire. You're operating the same machinery the ent your entire life. Nurture just teaches you how to use that machinery a certain way. Like cool. it's it is really just a thing where it's like, I am. How am I going to use this tool in this situation? Mm -hmm. Is determined by by what you've experienced, right? Not necessarily what you've taught. Teaching is just a part of the experience of living. It's hopefully trying to fast track some hard lessons so that you don't have to go through them directly. Yeah. But some people learn hard, mm -hmm. and it's a thing. Yeah, the easy way or the hard way, they say with learning theory. Yeah. I had to chip my tooth before I started caring about my teeth. Like it's, <laughs> it's a thing. That's, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about here, where it's like that is a matter of me having to have experienced it in a way that was beyond just me being told. And I need to have like you. Ha I had to have it justified. Yeah. And some people are better at justifying behavior than others. Yeah. And the instant you can get to understanding someone's thought processes and really working from their perspective, you can then convince them to do the right behavior. Mm -hmm. right? So long as the outcome is the same function being put out by, by an individual, then you shouldn't really care about how they got there. Right. Like I don't care if someone is a terrible person in theory, but in fact <laughs> doing the right thing because ultimately it benefits yeah. to do the right thing. Yep. Like if, if, the, if we can make the police resistance doing the thing that is optimal for the most people, the thing that is utilitarian, then we can do that without it being like a weird moral question. Right. Because right? Like I, I definitely don't love people, and I definitely don't care for people the same way that you care for people and love people, but for the same reasons. But ultimately, if the person at the end of our behavior is feeling loved and cared for, that's ultimately what the result matters for. Right. right. The intent doesn't need to exactly be the same so long as the outcomes are still holistically the same. Right. Well, right, because the behavior. Yeah, like the person doesn't need to know, like, oh, these are the thoughts that I went through in order to love you. Like, they just need to feel that. And yeah. Like, no, I hear what you mean. Exactly. Yeah. Like, you didn't, you didn't need to know that, like, I really needed to come to an understanding that, like, you're probably not going to kill me in the middle of the night in order for you to like know that I love you. Well, you never know. You don't even know those. <laughs> you don't even know that I've 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 removed the femme fatale plot point from this situation. Thus, I feel safe enough. Like you don't need to know that. Yeah, gotcha. Um, so um, I, I have a couple more questions, but I think I've taken up a lot of your time today. Um, so I'll I'll let you go if you if you have some other things. I think to I'm do. good for one more question. One more question. Let's see. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, theoretically, I'll be kicking a kid out the door in 18 years. 
What are some of the what are some of the issues? What are some of the issues that will affect kids 18 years from now, and how can we fix them? Or what are affecting oh, kids right now, even? Oh, so it can be 18 years from now or now. It's kind of a extemporaneous question. Uh, the the issue. Okay, so here's. I think and this is. I think the worst part about being a kid that kids don't understand is that they are kid-specific issues. Uh-huh. Also, all issues are kid issues. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like there's a thing where like, what what do we got? What what we got to fix by a kid turning 18? Uh, what broken? Right? <laughs> like it's that's 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 unfortunately the headspace that yeah. we got to be at as a society because like. There, there are definitely some some issues that are more right. Like there's a massive infrastructure in the in the United States issue. We are we have crumbling infrastructure. That infrastructure can also be taken advantage of, right? Like there needs to be more uh, uh, integration of points of uh, in energy collection, like mm-hmm. on highways. There's no reason highways shouldn't have solar panels on them. Yeah. There's lots of countries that do that, and in fact also keep the road generally cooler. Um, there's lots of places that put solar panels on their parking lots, places that put solar panels on buildings, green roofs, things like that. The intersection of infrastructure and, and sustainability needs to be increased in this country. We have failing infrastructure. If it's failing, we got to replace it. We might as well replace it with something that has a duality. Mm-hmm. That's, that's one of those baseline things where it's like, if there's no place for them to be, if there's no way for them to go places and live, then they're doomed. Right? Right. That's off rip. More than that, much more important than that, climate change. Huge issue, right? Huge issue, got to be dealt with, bigly, right? Fascism, <laughs> generally, got to deal with that. That's a big one. That's yeah. a big umbrella. Got to deal with fascism. Fascism also kind of means that you have to deal with corruption, right? Because fascism is what happens when criminals hold office, mm-hmm. basically, every time. It's just what happens when those who want to be parasitic and leech off the hard work of others by hitting them against each other, mm-hmm. that's, that's where they live, is in fascism. And, and so it's like, it's, it's a weird thing, because it's like, there's actually not a lot of evil Republicans. Yeah. And, I, and I mean that like in terms of like the actual people. Because yeah. the issue that we always have is that like Republican leaders will throw their people under the bus, right. and you attack them to be like, hey, they're attacking us. And like, people I don't think stop, pick up on that fast enough, and like, there's really easy ways to do that, like call them out by name, don't just mention their party. But, um, when you're looking at like all these different issues that will be affecting someone when they're 18, they all effectively come down to protect, protecting an educated democracy and ensuring that there's a planet. And, and Full stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Full stop. Like, why the hell is Elon Musk trying to go to Mars so badly? Bro, like finish your fucking vegetables before you yeah. have dessert. There's stuff to do here on Earth. Yeah, guys, There's got so some many priorities. That gotta be <laughs> this man put up a hundred million dollar bounty on carbon capture technology. Yeah. Trees, you motherfucker. <laughs> Trees. They provide habitat, lumber, cooling, water, uh, water structure reform. They help protect the watershed. They help prevent flooding. They mitigate storms. Trees! Mm-hmm. You, you think some motherfucker in a lab is going to do better than trees? No, he's going to just make something that captures carbon that can maybe be used to build stuff. But that's it. You know what else can just build stuff? Trees! Elon Musk is a piece of shit. And it's <laughs> that people just forget that. That this man called out 
a scuba diver who saved like 12 kids back to back from a cave, a pedophile. He did that. He went to court for that. He was building under people's homes illegally. But pieces of shit like that end up being in charge because right. they don't understand from an early age that people are not supposed to be resources to be exploited. Right. We need we need better people first, and then I think that all the problems will start to like people will just be like, oh, this is a problem. I'm gonna fix that instead of like manipulate it. We need better people, and we also need to hold people like that accountable and sure. make sure that they have yep. a difficult time operating in those spaces. Yeah. Because. What Elon Musk actually is, is someone who was not raised correctly. Mm-hmm. Elon Musk was an individual who was not raised correctly, possibly because his parents were toxic. Like, his dad was, like, an apartheid supporter in South Africa. Um, what? And, yeah. That's crazy. Elon Musk has apartheid money. Um, but, but it's a thing where it's, you're looking at someone like Elon, and that is just having someone incompetent in the executive. Someone who should be an executive is someone who actually knows what they're talking about. He's just a programmer. He's just looking for bragging rights. Right. Right? He is, this is, we're looking, this, the race to Mars is the equivalent of when we first started getting commercial pilots trying to see who could go the furthest without refueling. Right. It is, it is a commercial attempt. Yeah. And ultimately, we'll be forgotten because the thing we get right will probably be happening through a more, you know, publicly funded means. Right. And that'll be impressive. Like, no one's talking about SpaceX right now. We're talking about the fact that that new rover landed on Mars. Right. Why, why is Elon Musk bidding for position where, like, and NASA's, like, saying they support him and his initiatives. But some of that's just them being good politicians. Some people have um, kind of like in the past couple of years taken to like shunning the word selfish, but I think you can you can use that for people who um, are are intentionally self-serving and have no regard for the effects of that self-serving. And I think that's like Elon Musk, that's Donald Trump, that's like a lot of people who um, have have the power nowadays. And it's, yes. Also, the, the notion that greed is good. Like I understand like. There's a strategy to making sure that when you tell people to do something for, that's for everyone's benefit, that you really highlight how it's for their benefit. We are inherently selfish creatures. I get that. But it is like sociopath propaganda to be like, greed is good. Yeah. Like that, is, that is just people... Or they made their money the right way, right? You know, or like they made their money the hard way. Or, yeah, that sort of... Yeah, like it, it, so it's, it's a thing where it's like that, that all has to be taken care of if we're going to introduce a world to people that they can function in. Because the reason you want to make the world a better place for your kids isn't just so that they live better than you do. It's so that, like, man, I got to really make sure that this kid isn't just, you know, deleted in 18 years because the world is on fire. You got to you gotta get on that. And it's a thing where, like, that's why we've been seeing more and more parents joining this issue. Yeah. Right? Like, a Portland mom has no business or reason in the immediate to go to a riot that is ha- that right um, to go to like a, a, a and stand and protest in front of riot gear police for Black Lives. That poor mom didn't have any reason to do that to put herself at risk. Right. But they are aware that this is a chaos situation that has bigger implications for their kids in the future. <laughs> We're at a point where 
the human race doesn't go from type zero to type one civilization without figuring this shit out. If yeah. we cannot work with each other, we don't get to go to Mars. Right. It's like, yeah, it's like a you fundamental, like, community, like, society issue. Species that succeed overwhelmingly are species that work together communally. Every yeah. time we see a huge jump in a species population, it's because of some communal aspect to their behavior. Yeah. Right? Uh, ants have been successful for millions of years for that exact same reason. Yeah. They are one of the most dominant things on the planet. The, uh, we are in ourselves that thing. We are yeah. a cluster of individual cells working together in perfect synced unity. Mm-hmm. And if we can't replicate that behavior on scale and fix a lot of these problems by going, this affects everyone no matter who you think you are, then we're doomed. And I, I, I think we're going in the right direction. The population swing is actually going in the right direction. And that's why Republicans did this, right? This is why, this is why the party, the GOP, decided to move in this fascist direction, is because fascism is now the only way they can maintain power because the population isn't there for them. They would have to actually start making fundamental changes to what their platform is to, to, to convince people to do that. And we kind of saw them trying to adopt that strategy leading up to, uh, to when Donald Trump entered the office, right? Right, uh, Jed Bush, uh, 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 Marco Rubio, before Trump came into office, they were not only staunch enemies of the man, but they actively said things that were like, yeah, obviously he's a racist. What, what yeah. are we doing, folks? Right. But once he won, it's like, oh, I guess that's actually what the party wants because the party is a dying lament. Right? right, yeah, nationalism seems like it's, yeah, one of those, one of those things that's um, very, like, bandwagony. You know, it's uh, bandwagony and it's for old men. Yeah. Well, like I think I think that's that's a whole other bag of tricks or worms or whatever the phrase is. But um, I'm sorry on for, for the viewer, uh, <laughs> rather, uh, for all the different tangents I went on. No, that, I had a point, but then never finished that point. And I know that you're gonna catch it. I know that Nick was a <laughs> I'm a, a sharp tongued criminal, but. <laughs> I'm sure you'll catch it and realize that I didn't finish some of those rocks. No worries. That's that's perfect. Thanks, man.